0: Support for this show is brought to you by Instill. Our friends at Instill really understand what it means to build and manage relationships in a holistic and human-first way. The platform's advanced UX design and real-time analytics smooth donor management to make it easy for you to connect every supporter to the impact of your work. To learn more, head on over to Mallory
1: what is the treasure? The treasure is that the private sector is trying to figure out what it means to create value for society. And that logic, that way to think about their own existence is something that, guess what? The nonprofit sector has been there forever. That's exactly what they're living and breathing for.
0: Welcome back to episode 16 of What The Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. Huge thanks to our sponsors and friends over at Pledge who are making this episode possible. Today, I'm interviewing Maurizio Zolo. Maurizio is the scientific director of the Leonardo Center on Business for Society at Imperial College Business School. He's a professor of strategy and sustainability and head of the Department of Management and Entrepreneurship at the Business School as well. Maurizio's research aims to understand how business organizations learn to grow and adapt to environmental turbulence and how managers can guide these evolutionary processes through the combined use of strategic growth initiatives and organizational change, innovation, and learning processes. He focuses on the management of complex strategic initiatives from partnerships to sustainability, innovation, and organizational change efforts. In this episode, we talk about how business is changing and what this means for the nonprofit sector. To define one term you'll hear in this episode, Maurizio talks about the staggering growth of ESG funding. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance and refers to three key factors when measuring the sustainability and ethical impact of an investment in a business or company. This is just one of the many ways we talk about seeing business and investment shift. What does this have to do with the nonprofit sector? Well, in Maurizio's words, nonprofits are sitting on treasure when it comes to their ability to help businesses change their mindset and the way they understand and provide value. When we can overcome the communication barriers between businesses and nonprofits, this treasure can be used to build successful cross-sector partnerships that will make the world a better place. There is so much in here, you guys, so let's get started. Thank you for talking to me at the end of a long day. I am so thrilled to have this conversation. I'm here with Maurizio Zolo, um, who I am just so lucky to have recently learned about your work. And I want to, so that I don't butcher anything, would you just give us a little introduction to yourself and your work and what brings you to this conversation?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having thought of me and um, involved me in this conversation. Basically, my... uh, current responsibilities to uh, direct a research center that I've created a couple of years ago at Imperial College Business School. It's called Leonardo Center on Business for Society. I'm also the head of the Management and Entrepreneurship Department, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. The center, however, I think is meaningful to this conversation, because we are developing a couple of decades of experience in Studying at the same time, collaborating with the private sector, with companies who are trying to understand what it means to be a corporate citizen that integrates the interests and and the needs of society in what they're doing. And not only trying to understand, but also trying to innovate and change in a transformational way what they're doing. And so this is quite fundamental because potentially can involve directly the role of the uh, third sector, right? The uh, uh, non-government NGOs and civil society, although that potential, unfortunately, as of today, is largely untapped. So I think that's going to be something that we're going to discuss today.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I was so excited when we got to first meet and talk about this. But I'm just curious as kind of a jumping off point, where does your passion for the role of business in creating the societies that we all care about come from? Like, where does your passion for this work really come from?
1: That's a great question, Mallory. The passion is fundamentally related to the fact that as an academic, I've always found it always frustrating to basically spend our time observing reality, trying to understand it, of course, that's what we're supposed to be doing. (laughs) Essentially, that's where the show kind of ends, because the next step in actually trying to make the world a better place is essentially reduced to, yeah, I mean, doing a good job in class, you know, and clearly trying to influence the young minds. Sometimes business executives, right, executive education programs, but it's very narrow and obviously with a very small subset of the population of business enterprises and even more of the world that we would like to influence, we would like to see improving. And so that frustration drove me to rethink in quite fundamental ways, and not the only one, by the way, with other very senior colleagues uh, around the world. Rethink what we're doing and rethink how we're engaging not only companies, but also their stakeholders, government, local government, civil society, in this what we called engaged scholarship so basically doing research but at the same time experimenting in the field within organization in the actual ecosystem where companies and the other actors are working and trying to not only think about what could be done better but actually trying to see whether that works and what is it that doesn't work and how to fix it and so on and so forth. So it's, it's a bit more, a lot more uh, concrete. You know, it's kind of looking at the plumbing rather than being just engineers and think about the big house actually working on the plumbing and making sure that all the details of the house actually work.
0: I love that. And I love that image too because I feel like the plumbing, like how the water moves around the house, is such a good metaphor for even the movement of money throughout society and the roles that businesses play in that. In terms of their own, like them as a company themselves, but also just the facilitation of that movement throughout the ecosystem around them. So I love, I love that metaphor. So tell me from a business perspective. I mean, I think you know a lot of the folks who are listening to this from the nonprofit sector. And so I think for them, it's quite easy to imagine why businesses should be better global citizens. But from a business perspective, why have we seen this growing shift really in so many companies or why are companies really exploring sort of this reinvention to participate in the ecosystem differently?
1: Mallory, the answer is very simple, actually, because they're finally realizing that over and above all the ethical issues and the looking good and, you know, all the nice things that have to do with social responsibility, looking responsible in many different ways. The uh, heart of the matter is fundamental and is strategically important for the company. See, every company essentially competes on four different markets. Obviously, there's a product market, there's a labor market, there's the financial markets, and the technology or materials, you know, the basically supply market. It turns out that in each and every one of these markets, essentially, their counterparts are demanding companies to change behavior. Employees we know this right particularly the generations that you know they, they don't even want to think about giving their lifetime or <laughs> their their, their work to to a company that they don't respect customers are becoming increasingly sensitive to the company uh, their reputation but also the products themselves, the services that they're buying, that they want to be responsible and socially impactful and environmentally sustainable. Financial markets, this is the most recent component. Financial markets are now have exploded, right? In the last three or four years, we're now counting about $40 trillion of uh, investments that are done on the basis of ESG filtering assessments. This is one-third of the amount of mass, massive amount of equity investments. I'm talking about just the equity, forget about all the other parts, just on capital. right? So when you have one-third of investors that are asking you to do this, I mean, you've got to listen. There's no question about it. Now, on the last bit, I know that I'm giving you a, a long answer here. No, it's but great. It's great. The last bit is that uh, on the supply side, companies are realizing that are, all of a sudden, they're not only responsible for what they're doing, but also for what all the supply chain, supply chain is doing. So it's not enough that they are respectable, that they don't infringe on human rights and, or environmental destruction. But if their suppliers are doing and in most cases, a very large percentage of their social and environmental impact, negative impact, is in the supply chain, not internal to them. Obviously, they need to get their house in order as well. But the supply chain is huge, particularly for large multinational companies. And that's a completely different ballgame. How do you get, you have thousands of suppliers, how do you get them to behave? You see the power, however, because the moment that one, if not obviously many, multinational companies are asking their suppliers to change the way that they do business, what do you think suppliers are going to say? Well, I'm going to try to do it. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to sell you anymore. you might my big client. And so the combination of all these pressures are now unbearable. The big problem is still there, though. Now that they're all waking up. finally, (laughs) to this reality. That doesn't mean that they have the answer to the question, How? what does this mean? How am I going to change? What is it exactly that I need to do? That's what they're struggling with. And that's where particularly the uh, nonprofit sector has a big piece of the answer. They're not realizing that they have it. They are not quite conscious that they do but in my view there's no question because you see that the again the problem is not even fixing the uh, operations you know okay i need to put some more filters so that i don't pollute as much or i need to adjust a little bit the way that i treat my employees and so on. those are the quick fixes so that those are that's easy to do what is not easy to do is to rethink the whole purpose of my company. How do I rethink the way that I compete on the product markets and so on and so forth? On the basis of solving societal problems or essentially making all the stakeholders, all the investors of capital, financial capital, but also human capital, my employees, social capital, the customers, the suppliers, the local communities, they are all investing in my company. They are all investors in different ways in the creation of my company, in the growth of my company, and in the success of my company. They expect returns on their investment, right? They expect to get something back, and I'm not organized to give them what they're expecting. Right? The basic, maybe, obviously, I give and a wage to my employees, and you know, uh, but. That's not enough, right? They're expecting a lot more. And that's the big problem. That's the, uh, the real issue is how to rethink the purpose of the business organization and how to make the transition. Because by rethinking the purpose, then all of a sudden I need to rethink the governance of my company, the leadership models, the culture, the incentive systems, the control system, and so on and so forth, right? All the big core pieces of the engine of a company that makes a company work. Everything has to be redesigned. That's a big challenge.
0: Yes. And so how does the nonprofit sector plug in there? I know when we were talking previously, you said the word treasure, that you felt like the nonprofit sector was sitting on this treasure and had these keys really to unlocking, answering some of these questions, unlocking the possibility here. So can you give me an example or two of like how a nonprofit might plug into one of these problems and help a company solve it?
1: So first of all, what is the treasure? The treasure is that the private sector is trying to figure out what it means to create value for society. And that logic, that way to think about their own existence is something that, guess what? The nonprofit sector has been there forever. That's exactly what they're living and breathing for. So potentially... The most valuable asset, if you want, of the nonprofit sector is to share their own way to think about the role of their organization, the way that they uh, organize themselves to make sure that they're contributing in a positive way in their own, obviously, in their own specific area, area of expertise. But sharing that mindset, sharing that, that logic, not just the service or you know, the, the particular activity, the project, of course, project is the core of a potential partnership with the private sector, but it's the mindset that is the real treasure, is by working together, unconsciously, the nonprofit sector will diffuse its mindset, its way of thinking, and the uh, private enterprise will understand what it means to really be thinking and organize itself to create, to have a positive impact on society and on the natural environment. That is the potential, as I said before, largely untapped And this is a problem both for the private sector because they are not capable of really learning, speeding up and and improving this transition. They won't like to do. They have to. And At the same time, it's a real pity for the nonprofit sector because this will allow the real value-added form of growth, of development, of learning also for the nonprofit sector and of funding of their activities. All of that would come at the same time if on both sides, of course, there is a willingness and an investment really it has to be an investment of time and energy to figure out how to position whatever each has in order to benefit the other. For the the non-profit, I think it's critical, just for companies. Now, I'll give you some examples, but it's actually relatively straightforward. Look at how the big global NGOs are organized. Amnesty International, WWF, they have entire divisions dedicated to the fruitful, positive engagement of companies on the basis precisely of creating joint projects that will obviously benefit the agenda of the NGO clearly. But at the same time, we'll also transfer the mindset and transfer the logic of how to organize in order to respond to the issues of human rights or or environmental issues. It's it's by rubbing each other right uh, elbow to elbow on projects that really all the implicit, yeah, the mindset really gets influenced. And it's great for both. Now, What does this mean for small NGOs, the local, you know, focus, you know, maybe working on specific issues, whether it's health or poverty or inclusion or education, whatever that is. I'm a small NGO trying to do as much as possible for my local communities. Well, first of all, there are local enterprises (laughs) in your local communities and To the extent that you think about how to organize, how to present, how to frame the narrative that such a way that is of interest for companies in the local communities that are interested in, in understanding what it means to be good social good corporate citizens, but also there are local subsidiaries of larger companies that might have already their mandate. They would belong to larger groups and therefore they know they should be enhancing, positive way, regenerating, if you want, both the social and environmental and the natural environments. And so they are actively looking for the NGOs that are willing to collaborate, they are willing to make an effort with the right kind of mindset and the right type of uh, organization. Because that's the biggest problem: is that there is a mindset shift that is necessary also for the NGO. That the mindset that is, in a way, more geared towards understanding how to run a business. Okay, even though for profit is the business mentality, is the way to actually manage projects as if. You were, independently, whether you're doing for profit or or non-profit, the economic sustainability of the organization obviously is primary goal anyway. And so that's what they're looking for. Companies, local companies, particularly if they're subsidiaries of larger companies, they're dramatically in search of the right kind of partners. And so it's a question of organizing both in terms of activity, but also in terms of communication and capacity to engage the private sector. That would make a difference for the individual NGO as well as for the, for the plurality of NGOs in any local environment.
0: Yeah, I love what you're saying. And I totally agree that I feel like there's this mindset. Both entities are stuck in their own sort of mindset and siloed thinking, and that there's tremendous benefit from them coming together. And there's a certain amount of mindset work that needs to be done to prepare them to come together, to even be open to coming together. You know, I think on the company side, I hear all the time, like, oh, well, you know, I'm nervous to work with nonprofit. Like, how hard are they going to be to work with? Are they constantly just going to be asking us to sponsor this event and this event? And it doesn't feel like the nonprofit is really interested in mutually beneficial partnerships. And I think that is true on the nonprofit side. And I feel like I was guilty of this early in my nonprofit years, too, of being like, hey, I'm a nonprofit. We're doing good work. Just like give us money because you make a lot of it.
1: Exactly. And we got a lot of money. Come on, give <laughs> someone. And and if that's the only thing that we're asking, come on. It's not It's not fruitful. I think, I would say it's not fruitful for the NGO as well because it becomes the mentality of kind of asking, you know, begging for money rather than creating value for the counterparts that you want in any case to work with you on your agenda, but in a way that is good for them as well, beyond the feel good because they also have their own goals. to
0: meet. Yes, I remember saying one time to a marketing director, or VP. Um, I want to make sure we come up with a partnership that's really beneficial to your company because I want the whole ecosystem in this area to succeed. And so tell me, like, how can my organization support you? And he just like stopped. And he was like, in 15 years of doing this, no one has ever said that to me from the nonprofit sector before. And I think it is really problematic. And I think some of this goes back to a lot of nonprofit mindset around like, we're the do-gooders and we're fixing a lot of the problems that the that the public sector or that you the guys private have sector. Created. Yes, exactly, exactly. And so that creates this barrier to collaboration. And I think the recognition for the nonprofit sector, and something I say to my folks all the time is look, businesses are changing and businesses changing. And business is solving a lot of problems out there. Business is
1: willing to, right? So the the, the question is that they're realizing that they have created the problems and they're trying to become a solution to to look for the solutions. And guess who has the answer? Guess who has the expertise in, in providing the solution? Is the nonprofit sector. So to me, I mean, and to you, it's, I mean, there's nothing new here, nothing amazing. But the problem, as you said, is that the mindsets are hard to change, right? They are deeply ingrained in our identity, in, in the way we just think about, we've always done this. This is how we do things, right? It's our culture. And that's tough. But I really, I couldn't think of a better moment than now to invest in making a clear cut changing in a fundamental way the, the way that we think about our identity from a nonprofit standpoint and the way that we engage and propose fruitful partnerships for us and for the private sector. It's uh, absolutely timely. I mean, it couldn't be more than now.
0: Yeah, and I really, I want to sort of double tap on one of the things that you said before around the fact of the matter is when nonprofits are staying in this really transactional state with companies, it is not beneficial for them from a financial standpoint. Like that's how, you know, so often I have folks ask me, one of my big sort of courses is around how nonprofits can build corporate partnerships, annual corporate partnership programs, as opposed to so many nonprofits think about corporate sponsorship, like on an event basis or like a specific campaign basis. And That is not about creating strategic partnerships. That's not about solving a problem together. Go ahead.
1: They need to think, every NGO, if they could think about themselves as the suppliers to a fundamental good service where the private sector is on the demand side. So there is a supply and demand. What is that good, that service? is the solution to social maladies, whatever obviously is the social malady that the NGO is expert in, that social malady is recognized now by the private sector as something that they need to do something about. There's no question. The demand is there. In a way, of course, they can create internal projects and do a lot of nice stuff. If you take a sustainability report from any company, you got 50, 60 on average, right? It can go up to 100 initiatives every year of uh, good stuff that they do. Most of them, not all, most of them is done internally, okay? But they also know that it's not, first of all, it's not enough. Second, it's not particularly efficient because you know there are experts out there who can actually help them that's the demand and supply that needs to meet for both benefit right for the benefit of both and shifting the way to think about ourselves as the suppliers of this of solutions is yeah I mean it's a cultural shift but it, it puts the whole conversation on, completely different grounds because it's a win-win for both immediately.
0: Exactly. And the other thing that you are saying here, I think... That I'm hearing, or at least it's resonating with me this way, is that this also really shifts some power dynamics between the nonprofit and the for-profit sector that have been really detrimental for a long time. And this I shared with you when we first spoke, my sort of asset mapping process that allows organizations to see all the components of value inside their organization. And you're highlighting a really critical one here too, which is just around thought leadership and the knowledge that they have around the local community and this supply that they have and I think what I want nonprofits to really hear in this is like you have tremendous value to your corporate partners. And so when you're sitting at this table when you're trying to build mutually beneficial partnerships, it allows the the breakdown of the old power dynamics around sort of that like hounding for funding and all those things because it's like it's all about alignment and fit. And it's not about any company being the right partner for you, it's about finding the company that's looking to solve the same problem you're working to solve and coming together.
1: And therefore, the question that you ask that marketing person is exactly the right one. Is the NGO's responsibility to ask the counterpart, what is your strategic problem? What are you trying to solve? First of all, because if it's something different from what I can help you with, then I know that There's nothing to do, it's okay, there will be others who will help you. But if it is, then the match starts, and there is a completely different conversation. How are we going to make it work? Because you need what I can need. And therefore, it becomes really a collaborative process that helps, as I said, not only the specific project-based activity to obviously be designed and start with the right logic, the right mindset, and build the right resources, and so on that's great. But more subtly maybe, but equally importantly, is the fact that both the people on the two sides will start working together and will start, if you keep on asking the right questions, right, which is about how you guys are actually organizing yourself, but maybe you could do something different, but maybe you're not considering this and you're not considering that, which is besides Right over and above the project itself. It's really the conversation about what does it mean to have an organization that, yes, in the case of the business, needs to create returns for their investors, as well as, however, create well-being for their employees, for their local communities, and so on and so forth, right? I mean, Their suppliers. So the key is share on both sides, by the way, because also NGOs have a lot to learn (laughs) besides the project activity on how the the, the companies are organizing themselves. There are all sorts of capabilities that they have, uh, project management. cost control, I mean, you name it, that it would be wonderful if NGOs would have those capabilities as well as the capacity to act on their particular subject area. The rest that is just as important as getting a group project, you see? Yes.
0: Yes. Well, I, there's so many things you said that I love there. And I think, you know, one of the mindset pieces that I feel like the for-profit sector has that I'm kind of reprocessing this now and everything we're talking about is the nonprofit sector is so baked in scarcity mindset that it often like holds them back from thinking bigger or imagining. And so I think the coming together of solving this problem and the for-profit sector really having more experience with maybe innovation or iteration and, you being able to sort of formulate different models and like sustainable models, that wisdom and experience and thinking is tremendously impactful for the nonprofit and things that the nonprofit wouldn't think about alone. And then what you're saying is, of course, on the flip side, there are all these, like I have said for a long time, I'm like, anytime a company is making a big strategic decision around something that impacts a particular audience or particular community, why the heck don't they have nonprofit? leaders who know those communities, know those people in the room. They should be in In the the
1: room. room. (laughs) In the room. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Because that's exactly one of the big things that we are working on in the Leonardo Center. So the whole idea is to engage fundamentally, in this case, companies, right, to start with in getting them to innovate and experiment on the field in their own organization on inclusive ways to create their governance, for instance. So it's not just the board of directors that needs to obviously have representatives of their stakeholders, including the NGOs, but also the strategic decision-making processes, the committees that make the key strategic decisions, whether it's marketing or purchasing or any of the R&D, new product development. I mean, obviously, you need to have stakeholder representatives there. And NGOs, obviously, are the representatives, if you want, of the communities because they represent a specific need of the community in which they're working. And gosh, I mean, it would be the easiest thing to do for companies to engage NGOs during the strategic decision making, but not only, even before, to sense what needs to be done. First of all, before you make a strategic decision, you need to really make sure that you understand the problem, to generate potential solutions. Certainly, the companies could generate solutions internally. But if you talk to people who have been uh, working on those issues for forever, probably you would be able to generate for sure more solutions. Select them, select them, selecting what is the most appropriate thing to do for the company and for society is exactly the problem, right? That's exactly what companies are trying to learn how to do. And that's where you start seeing, right, the NGOs are, you know, a huge part of the solution to that problem. And then, by the way, it's not just after the decision is made. Imagine, so we've done the sensing, we've done the ideation together with the the NGOs, we've done the selection, and therefore we've made the decision. And now there is a question about, Typically, these decisions might need to be implemented or tried, you know, piloted. Voila! Again, the NGO could help in providing feedback on the pilot projects, on the implementation, so that the company can learn much faster and much better than they would otherwise without their help. You see, that's the treasure that I was talking about before. This is it. This would allow companies to speed up tremendously their innovation and their learning processes. And they would become, hopefully, in a not-too-distant future, really socially, you know, centered on the needs and the interests of their social counterparts, you see?
0: I mean, I think you and I are sitting here and we're like, this is such a no-brainer. But I'm curious from your perspective, like, how much does like ego and control hold folks back from innovative partnership?
1: That's a good question, Mallory, and could be. It could be that it's individual ego. And for sure, there is a question of letting go of control.
0: And I don't just mean on the company side. Uh, I think this is yeah, an issue on, on the sides. nonprofit side. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 On both sides. But I, and this is my own conviction, you know, I, I could be wrong, but I think it's more the weight of the past, the way this is how we've been doing things kind of worked so far. Um, this is who we are, as I was saying. It's mindsets, it's culture, it's the routines that we have built. It's very difficult, as you also said before, to kind of innovate and redo, rethink about what we are, who we are. And so, you know, questioning our identity is a big deal, okay, for both NGOs and uh, companies. And then... Understanding the consequences, because if you come up with a different answer to the question of who we are and what are we supposed to be doing, then all the rest is painful. Then I need to change my uh, governance, my all the various things I was talking. And on the NGO side, I need to change my strategy uh, to rethink how I grow, how I communicate, how I source my, the resources that I need. It's a completely different game in a way, and. Having the guts, to me, it's a it's a question of courage to look into this, to ask the tough questions, and to be willing to go to the bottom of the answer, and before to embrace the need for changing in a radical way the way that we are that whether we're operating. That's the that's the tough one. Um, it could be ego. It could be you know. Everyone has its own individual idiosyncrasies. But uh, for me, abandoning who we are and what we do in search for a better, a better identity and a better purpose.
0: Yeah, it's like that cognitive dissonance piece, and and I think of course, it makes sense that if you're trying to change your external operating or the perception of your company or the way you show up and the way you're providing value, that that's going to require an internal look first and internal change first, but it doesn't make it less scary to do so. So I really hear that. And I know we could talk about This forever. And I'm just so grateful for your time. First, let's have have our
1: passions. I know.
0: Well, and I think, look, I just so appreciate what you're doing. And I feel like discovering your work and learning more about it, I feel like I see like the other piece of the puzzle to this piece I've been trying to figure out from the nonprofit side around how to help nonprofits get over that communication barrier to build these mutually beneficial partnerships. My favorite question to ask companies is, like, what keeps you up at night? Like, what's the problem you are just banging your head on the wall to solve? And like, can we help you do that? And I think that just opens up so much. And so then hearing you talk about it from the corporate side is just so, so amazing. And and I could not agree more with you that like now is the time. So tell everyone like, where can they learn more about you and find out about your work and then tell us about your nonprofit. So folks can go check that out as well.
1: Oh, sure. So, well, thank you for this opportunity. The, the, uh, getting in touch with me is actually very simple. Just go on the, uh, Imperial College Business School website and look for the uh, Leonardo Center. And, uh, you will see not only me, of course, but you will see a whole network of about 15 research centers only at Imperial College London that are connected with Leonardo. They're coming from the medical school, the engineering school, the school of natural science. Basically, we're all working together in order to tackle issues that, really span all the Sustainable Development Goals, okay? from poverty you know, all the way to collaboration. And in fact, the 17th is particularly important for us because the way that we are doing this, as I was saying before, is to really engage all the key actors of society, starting from business, of course, because we're in the business school, but their stakeholders are fundamental. And we have created a number of what we call laboratories, whole labs uh, uh, right? It's Leonardo. So <laughs> inventing, uh, hopefully, uh, and contributing to a uh, renaissance uh, in terms of the way at least business sector is operating. So that's easy. Uh, alternatively, you know, just, just send me an email and you will find my email, m.zolo at Imperial dot but the other part that you were that you were mentioning is a foundation is a non-profit foundation she's called golden and uh, golden is uh, based in in holland is a global community of scholars as well as companies and institutions that have been working for quite a few years now in order to again experiment on solutions on, on these type of changes that we've been talking about again it's an open completely open institution uh, we welcome everyone and particularly from the NGO community, whether you want to engage directly with research center, but there are a lot of other research centers around the world, similar to Leonardo, who are really counting on the engagement with both business and NGOs precisely for that demand and supply discussion we were having. And we would be very happy, for instance, to point you to maybe relevant institutions in your area. The Golden Foundation is another way of doing it. It's obviously a lot more <laughs> it's a non-profit, uh, so it is an ideal partner for other NGOs who want or have the same kind of objectives in mind.
0: Awesome. And I will make sure that there are links below um, for all of this information too. And thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for having this conversation with me today.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been real, a real pleasure and a lot of fun. Thank you.
0: I don't know about you, but I left this conversation feeling really hopeful. Hopeful about what's possible when we work together. Hopeful about how much possibility exists for power partnerships that can and will change the world for the better. I know there are stigmas and communication barriers and an uncomfortable history that we need to work through and move past, but I believe, truly believe that we can and that we need to, in order to build the world that we all want to see. Let me just tell you, there is a lot more where this episode came from, a lot of which is inside my signature course, The Power Partners Formula, and you'll be seeing even more from us in 2022. To get all the detailed show notes from today, head on over to malloryerickson.com podcast. You'll find more information there about Maurizio's incredible work, as well as how to connect with him. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I am so grateful for all of my listeners, especially you, and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. If you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under fundraising underscore. Have a great day, and I'll see you next week.